0: So, everybody's good today? Rain, I can see you're the ones that didn't melt on the way in. So, I'm not sure if that's the good ones or the bad ones, but at least you're the ones that didn't melt, and so we're here to worship God and here to be able to praise Him and here to uh, talk about connecting authority and heart. And so that's one of those important things for us to be able to understand, I think. We have a lot of different things that go on in our world that have to do with authority. And I'm not sure we always grasp what it is. You remember when you were a child, there was one great authority in the world. And you could argue with your sister all day long, and it didn't matter. She wasn't going to believe you. And then those awful, chilling words that she would say. But mom said. And you knew that the greatest authority in your life had spoken. And you had no choice but to do exactly what mom said. And so it goes from there. And we grow up. And we recognize there's a much bigger authority in our world. And that bigger authority, of course, is God. And so, who's your authority today? Hopefully, it's God in some sense, but I think today we don't accept God near as much. God's not always our authority, and we want to think of ourselves as authority. It's it's interesting when you look for certain things. And so I go and I try to find these pictures all the time that fit with the lesson and everything. And so you'll type in believe and believe in God. And what comes up is believe in yourself. And I'm like, well, I didn't want believe in myself. I want to believe in God. And But no, every single time it seems to be more about this idea of Believe in yourself. You can do it. You're the one. You're. That wasn't what I wanted. I wanted to believe in God. And it's almost as if that's not even in the question. It gets pushed out of the way. We don't believe in people as much anymore because they've disappointed us. We don't believe in institutions anymore because they have disappointed us as well. And so we've kind of lost our belief in a lot of things. And we tend not to trust things as much. And we see authority in a lot of different ways. And so here are some of the ways that we might see authority just when you mention that word. Yeah, okay, that's real, that's the law, but for some reason we don't see it like that. We want to make fun of it. And we want to see it as if it's maybe not quite as competent. And so that's a lot of times what we see with authority is that, well, they don't have authority over me. And this is another one. I see authority, but it's crushing me. It's horrible. It's something I have to deal with. And authority is to be avoided at all cost because it's only here to crush us. Or, yeah, somebody's telling us what to do. And now we have to go do that. And they think they have authority. But we're going to grumble about it all the way, aren't we? We're going to let them know just how much we don't like it, we don't appreciate it, and when they're not looking, we're not going to do it. And so we see that kind of authority as well. At least that kind of reaction to authority. But when we think about it, The real authority is God, and the real authority is God because He's creator. He's the one who made everything, so He has authority over everything He's made, which is authority over us. And so, yes, He can say what needs to happen and what we're supposed to do. When you have that much power and force and personality and authority, how could there ever be rebellion? When you think about how big God is and all of the ways in which God is so huge and so mighty and so knowing of everything and could do absolutely anything, how could there ever be rebellion? And yet there is. And some of it's in us. Well, some of it's in me. Maybe you're not willing to admit that. But yeah, it happens sometimes that you go, I don't have to do that. I don't want to do that. And it just kind of works in. And how in the world can we ever do that with an almighty God? And if we are like that, How can we ever really grasp how to have a good relationship with authority? Uh, Because otherwise, we're just rebelling all our life, like we were teenagers again. You know, wear your pants on backwards and dye your hair purple, and whatever you can do to just look different somehow. And we've got a lot of that. My hair turned gray. That's my rebellion. Actually, I had no choice in that. It just happened automatically. So let's look at Luke. I want you to look with me at Luke chapter 5, the story that Nick has read to us. A little bit earlier in the story, Jesus has already been teaching, and he's already been teaching with authority. And so we can see that they were impressed with the way that he spoke because he speaks as if he has authority. He speaks as if he comes from God. He recognizes God's authority. He recognizes the name of God. He comes in the name of God. And so he comes... Saying all of the things about God. And he's going to claim to be the son of God. And all of his authority is connected with God. And so that makes him more believable. Because he's not just talking about his own authority. When Satan comes to tempt him. One of the temptations is. I can give you all authority. Over all these kingdoms. I'll give them to you. You'll have power and authority there. And his power and authority on earth. And Jesus' response to all of that is, no, I don't want power and authority on earth. There is something much bigger. And even though that would be easier, I would rather have authority from God. And it is God's authority that becomes most important. And it's God's authority that he's going to always go to. And so Jesus is in the authority of God. And he quotes the the scriptures of God. God said, and that's his authority because God said this. And so he always goes back to God for that authority. And so let me just ask you, how would you announce your authority? Would you come in and say, I'm here. I'm the one in charge now. Does that work? Maybe you haven't tried it. Or maybe you've seen other people who have tried it. Does it usually work? Would you respond to that? Doesn't seem to work so much, does it? Jesus is always more subtle than that. And he begins with this story. Because this is how Jesus announces his authority. And so the demons are afraid of him. He has cast out demons, and so here is his announcement of authority. He teaches with authority, and it says the power of God was with him to heal. Interesting way Luke puts that, isn't it? He comes in, and the power of God was with him to heal. Of course, the authority comes from God, and that's what he's trying to reference here. And Luke's trying to make sure everybody knows and understands that's how Jesus came is not with his own, but with God's authority. And so everything he does is with this authority from God. And so he comes and he has this, this authority to heal. He has authority over disease. He has authority over his creation. Some men come and they're bringing a paralytic with them. They come and they go up on the roof and because they can't get in any other way and they lower him through the roof having taken off some of the tiles on the roof and Jesus sees their faith, always the key for connecting with authority and getting God to respond to us or to notice us. He sees faith in us and so Jesus saw their faith and that's when he decides to act they let him down in front of course it's kind of hard to ignore Uh, it's pretty noisy it's pretty loud there's too many people around but you can't ignore something that is right in front of you and so that's what he's doing that's what he's got to do and he says to the man your sins are forgiven Well, that's always such a strange line. My sins are forgiven. That's not why we're here. Don't you understand there's a bed, and there's a whole lot of dust, and there's a whole lot of… But that's huge, isn't it? To be able to forgive sins is huge. It would mean that you're God, and that you're the Son of God, and Certainly, that is what he means, because only God can forgive sins. Of course, the Pharisees, they're there to point that out. Well, what is he saying? Only God can forgive sins. Nobody else gets to forgive sins. You and I might forgive what somebody has done to us, but it doesn't mean that they're forgiven by God. They still have to go to God for God's forgiveness. And so, even though we might forgive and forget, and that's the best way to handle things that are done against you, it doesn't mean God will, because God is the one who chooses whether or not He's going to forgive. And so, they're saying, well, Jesus, you're obviously wrong in all of this. And Jesus says to them, why are you questioning these things in your heart? Well, we were just making an observation. It's a theological argument. He says, no, this is a heart issue. You are questioning these things in your heart. But so that you'll know, and he says, take up your bed and walk. And somehow the guy gets up and takes a bed And he doesn't take it up through the roof, I don't think, as you look at the story. He somehow gets himself and that bed out the front door and is able to go home. And so we see this incredible proof that Jesus has. As he lets him take up his bed and walk out, he gives him the authority to do that. Well, Jesus has this authority over disease, over physical limitations. He is able to heal, and so we are so impressed with Jesus and all that He does. But doesn't He seem a little rebellious? Like, boy, this is kind of one of those in-your-face scribes and Pharisees are all standing around and you know, let me just do it this way. He could have just said, take up your bed and walk. He didn't have to say anything about the sin, but he does. He says something about the sin. He says, your sins are forgiven, which I think is bigger than maybe the paralysis. And it's kind of knowing they're standing there, knowing they're watching. He's like, your sins are forgiven, kind of in their face. Jesus Is he being rebellious? Not at all. But it might seem like it at times because they are the ones trying to impose another authority by being here and watching and saying, now we're here to make sure that you don't mess up. It's not their place. Who does the Son of God need to watch him and make sure he doesn't mess up? But sometimes that's where rebellion comes in, because they think they have the place to say, it's my place to watch you, it's my place to have authority over you. And Jesus is not rebelling against God at all, but he is rebelling against their place and they're imposing this supposed authority that they might have. They don't have it. And so, yes, he's going to act like that. And yes, it's going to seem like he is rebellious in all of this. What an incredible thing it is. When we act with authority of God and others are not, it seems like rebellion. And it seems like Jesus is not just obedient to them, but Jesus is obedient to God. And so make sure that when we're talking about rebellion a little bit and this whole idea of authority that we understand sometimes we might need to be rebellious against other people because we have one authority, and that is God. And that is the only one, and there isn't anybody else. And yes, there are other people that God has appointed and that God has put in place. And yes, they may have authority, but it does not go beyond what God said. And so the main authority is always God. All right, I hope I've confused you enough with that. Let's look at rebellion and what rebellion really looks like, okay? And so I've got a story to tell you, one that you know very well. What if someone could cure slavery, disease, and poverty, and world hunger? Would you follow them? Would you allow them to have authority if they could cure poverty, hunger, disease? I mean, just COVID, we would say, oh, absolutely. We'll follow anybody who can get us out of a mask and yet, it doesn't seem so easy. Would you let them have authority over you and recognize them as authority and not complain about the way they have to do it? I know that's the big one, right? Because that's the hardest part. We're not going to argue about it. We're not going to complain about it. We're going to do exactly what they said because they have the authority and the power to do it? And of course, that's the real question. It might be unusual, but would you trust them no matter what? And so, the story, of course, is about Israel and about how they were captive in Egypt for a long time. It had been 400 years they had been forced to be slaves. They had been forced to work and build their cities. They are not in proper living conditions. Their children are being murdered, and they prayed to God to deliver them. Please send us someone who will relieve us of this. And God decided to deliver them. He heard their cry, and he sent Moses to deliver them. Well, the only way to deliver them is... Well, there's probably a couple of different ways. First of all, you let them take over Egypt, right? Throw out all the Egyptians. There's going to be a war, and we're going to take over. But that's not the way God chooses to do it. For some reason, He's not going to destroy Egypt. He says, I'm going to give you a new land, a new place. And He sends a leader named Moses. And so, we are going to walk... From Egypt to this new land. And you might hear some groaning. We're going to what? (laughs) I'm going to give you a new land. And once you get there, all you have to do is start wars and fight and kill everybody that's in this new land. But I'm going to give it to you. Don't worry, you'll win. Well, this is sounding bigger and bigger. I know. Seems a little bit strange. You have to just, you know... Pack up everything in your house, and we're going to go. So, what does that look like? Well, consulting the great authority, Google, if you begin to look at what this would take to walk from Cairo to Jerusalem, and you put it on days, and I'm sure you can't read it from where you are, it takes six days and four hours. It is 727 kilometers. And so in six days and four hours, that's how long it would take to walk there. Of course, that's without bathroom breaks. And so, you know, if you're going to need that along the way, you might want to count that in or stops for snacks or gas or anything like that. If you have a car, it takes eight hours and 59 minutes. If you left right now, you would be in Jerusalem before midnight. Does that make sense how long the journey is? Okay. That's the distance. Of course, we're dealing with people who didn't have cars and who had to walk and who also had animals, and then there's that stop at Sinai along the way, and so they are going to be walking across a desert. It's going to be a long walk, and then if you carry things with you, it's going to be a little bit longer, and it's a little bit longer if you have to take all of your neighbor's And it's a little bit longer if you have to take the whole state or the whole country with you. And every single person that you know, everywhere around you, is also going to be on this same path, on this same road. It's going to take maybe a little bit longer carrying everything you own. Or it could take 40 years with disobedience to authority. Or it could be never with disobedience to authority. That you could start now and walk or drive the rest of your life and never get to the place that was promised with disobedience to authority. Does that sink in for us? It is essential that we understand this because we want to blame God for us not getting the blessing or not getting to our destination. It's less than seven hours. And we can't get there in a lifetime with disobedience to authority. Well, the first thing they do is reject Moses as their leader, but God says, okay. And he sends him back later on, and Moses goes to convince Pharaoh, and he comes back to deliver them, and there's ten plagues, and you know the story. They walked out of Egypt with all the gold of Egypt, and God leads them as they travel. And he gives them water because they complained, or they rebelled is what it says, because there was no water. Well, I might think about that, too, if there's no water. Or do you trust the authority that brought you there in the first place and say, yes, I believe this? It's only seven hours or seven days anyway. And so God leads them and gives them water, and He gives them manna from heaven, and He gives them quail, and He makes them never get sick, and He makes their clothes never wear out, and he makes their shoes never wear out, and he gives them a law at Sinai, and the law is for both civil and religious things, and it gives how they would act and how they would behave and how they would deal with people, and they still rebelled against God. Even with all of this, they worshiped idols. One of the first things is the golden calf. They refused to go into the land. They wanted to go back. You have Korah's rebellion. You have both Aaron and Miriam questioning Moses. Why is Moses the only one? We're just as good of leaders as Moses. And God deals with them and says, oh, no, you're not. I chose Moses, and that's it. They don't like the manna. They don't want to eat this manna. They're tired of the manna. It's just manna, manna, manna. And... What are we going to eat today? Well, it's going to be manna. Rather than coming out and going, hey, we've got manna today. How great is this? That is rebellion for God's blessing. I don't know if we quite grasp that, but every time we grumble and complain, it is rebellion for God's blessing, and it stops the journey. We don't understand it's a rebellion against His authority. Until finally God just gave up on them. And everybody from 20 years old and up never went into the promised land. And for Joshua and Caleb, it only took 40 years for everyone to die. Until they could finally go in. And the promise of God would be fulfilled. He would deliver his people. But if they do not respond to his authority, they will not get the blessing that God is bringing. It definitely will be there. But we have to understand it's about this authority, and that we have to see God as that authority. Well, in Psalm 95, he talks about this whole concept of what happened with Egypt. And in Hebrews 3, he quotes out of Psalm 95. So I'm going to take the Hebrews 3 passage where he talks about this. He says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, On the day of testing in the wilderness, when our fathers put me to the test and saw the works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And God's able to do that. But I want you to notice the passage The whole point is, therefore, don't be rebellious. And what way is that? Harden your heart. No, I mean, what way were they rebellious? No, that is it. (laughs) Where if our heart turns against God and says, I'm not doing that, or I am going to do something God doesn't want, and so we might We might not listen to God anymore he says don't be like that and he makes this so clear in this in this passage don't harden your heart as in the rebellion I was provoked by that generation and he talks about this as they always go astray in their heart and so God is connecting this idea of heart and authority together Are we going to mess up? Yeah, we're going to mess up. Are we going to sin? Yeah, we'll probably sin. You'll probably be sinned before next week. I hate to be a downer on that, but did you realize that you're probably going to make a mistake sometime between now and when you sit here again next Sunday? Well, that's kind of discouraging, isn't it? I thought I had a good week going already, and here we are. Uh, But it's not about our heart changing. It's going to be something that we did that, okay, yeah, I shouldn't have done it that way. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have gone this direction. I shouldn't have. And what he's saying is, sometimes it's a matter of heart and a matter of heart change. They saw all of his miracles for 40 years and had no faith. They saw what he could do But they always wanted to go back because they were afraid. And they always go astray in their heart. And so it's a matter of keeping our heart together, not keeping out of sin. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but that's what he's trying to get across. Don't let the sin cause your heart to be changed. Well, he goes on from this passage. This is the quote, and here's the conclusion of what he's trying to say. He says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. That's quote. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses, and with whom he was provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not be able to enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. And he's connecting all these words together, disobedient, unbelief, hardness of heart. And so when you put all of these together, he says, take care, be careful about your heart that you don't decide, God's not going to tell me what to do. No, God is the one who should tell you what to do. We need to welcome that. We need to understand that and know that, that God is the one that we want, And so he goes through who rebelled. Well, it's the ones that we've already talked about. They were unable to enter because of unbelief. Why? It's because they thought they could control their own deliverance. And we think we can control our own salvation And so when God says, I want you to do this, and we say, well, not so much, God. I'm going to do it this way. What? God already said, you're going to do it like this. And we say, well, no, I've decided that's not important. That's a rebellion. And we think we can take control of our own deliverance. We want to do our own salvation our own way. When you're facing a wilderness, how do you find a way through it all without saying, well, God, you got me here. It's fine. I've got it. I'll go the rest of the way. It doesn't work that way, does it? We either accept God and who God is. We used to study the Bible and look at it as authority. Now you use Google, I know. Okay, I already did. I'm sorry. But that's one of the things that helps us. We need to see Scripture as more important, is it has more authority. And maybe we're overreacting to Pharisees or controlled people and we just don't like being told no and or that we can't do that and it can get distorted. And so, is it just obedience that matters? Is that all I'm saying? You've heard that one before. Keep the law. And it didn't produce what they wanted. It made Pharisees. Well, if doing absolutely everything God says down to the very last letter doesn't do it, then how do we do this? Well, God says it's a problem with their heart, that they didn't believe, that they didn't enter. So who does have authority? And when we start looking at what we've been talking about, this idea of being conformed to the heart of Christ, that's about who has authority. It's letting God be in control. It's responding to the love of God. Tell us what we'll do, and we'll do it. And I guess here's how I have to think of this. Because I'm sharing with you one of mine, okay? I have that little guy inside of me that says, don't have to. And I don't know where he came from, but he's in there. And he's never gone away. It is that the command of God that is over me, that has authority over me, and I believe that. But that command comes from a living God. Can he tell me what to do? He can absolutely tell me what to do. And I believe it, and I want him to, and he should. But we need to say it like the love of God has authority in my life. And that is what derives and controls my actions and the decisions that I make. And if I'm going to decide yes or no, it's going to be based on the love of God. We see the same thing happening with family. We decide to get married. There's a covenant there. This is the authority I'll live for. It's for my family. And we choose it, Right? And action is based on what we do, and so it's based on our love for someone else. Not even the person themselves. Not just the word that they say, but it's a way to love them. It's a way to love God. It's a way to let them have authority. And so don't tell Nancy, okay? But when she says, I want you to do this, that's a way to love her. Okay? Is it authority? Well, I have to do stuff. And the first thing you want is, I don't have to do what you'd say. Yeah, if you want a covenant, if you want a wife, you kind of need to understand how authority works. She's not taking away yours. But the authority is the marriage. The authority is that God gave you the marriage. The authority is really from God in that He's the one over all of this. And this is a way to love them, and this is a way to let them have authority and let them have say over what we do, whether we like it or not. And we will do it because we love them. And that one I can live with. That one I can get behind. And we will act because of our care for them. And it's for their benefit. And it's what is best for them. And it becomes a way for authority to work in your life. Because we choose to love them and give them first place. We choose to love God and give Him first place. And we obey His words, not just because it's best, and we'll get something because it's a way to love God. It's all over Scripture. Paul puts it like this in Second Corinthians 5. He says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who put, who for their sake died and was raised. And so Paul, in his behavior, says, the love of Christ controls me. It's not me anymore. It's not everybody else anymore, and we recognize He has heart. He has this kind of heart that God is looking for. And He says, since Christ died, I've died, and everybody else has died, because I wouldn't want to be anywhere but with Christ. And therefore, since Christ died, I'm connected with Him. Jesus said it in several ways as well. He said the commandment is to love God and love your neighbor. Okay, well, when? <laughs> on Tuesdays, right? But on Thursdays, I can... No, it's, it's another way of saying God has all authority, and so love God and love your neighbor. If anything is outside of that, then... But we don't have as much trouble with that one, do we? Jesus said, God is looking for worshipers. Good enough, I'm one. You're here, you're one. So we understand the authority of God there. Jesus says, repent, we repent. If Jesus says, follow me, we follow him. If Jesus says, my kingdom is coming, we want to be in it. If Jesus is baptized, then we want to be baptized. It allows us to join His life and to join His death. So let me just ask, who has authority in your life? Maybe you just rebel against everybody. (laughs) It's a general way of approaching life, and it gives you problems, doesn't it? A life of rebellion never pays off because you feel like you're just spinning your wheels and you're never going to get to the destination. That's because you don't know where the authority is. And if you've got to understand that the authority is there and that God is it, and everything else depends on you knowing that. And so, authority is when you want that person with you. You want their protection. You want their company. You care about pleasing. You're not afraid. They have authority. And you walk in their light because everything else is just darkness. And so deciding who has authority in our life is essential. And when Jesus comes with authority, it's with his words, not with a sword. And when we believe the words of Jesus and bring them into our heart, it is a quiet revolution that changes the world. So, how do you need to show his authority in your life right now? Do you need to repent? Do you need to be baptized? Do we need to sing praise? Do we need to worship? Do we need to pray? Let's pick one of those that's going to show God's authority in our life right now.